Hello, this is Harry Thomason, and welcome to The Story You Never Heard, executive produced by Benji Gaither and Douglas Jackson. On this podcast, we'll tell you stories about the world, your country, your people, and things that happened long ago and not so long ago. Stories you probably never heard until now. Here's tonight's tale. George Washington's Hard Decision In 1751, 19-year-old George Washington accompanied his brother Lawrence, who had tuberculosis, as they sailed from Norfolk, Virginia, to the island of Barbados in the Caribbean, hoping the warm island air would help the illness. They stayed at a house that is still there, the historic Bush Hill House. When they arrived, Gadney Clark, originally from Salem, Massachusetts, who had, as it turned out, grown extremely rich in the slave trade, sent a messenger asking them to have dinner with him at his giant estate. Washington noted in his diary that he was worried about it because someone in the Clark family had been infected with smallpox some weeks before. He was right to worry. He contacted smallpox two weeks after the dinner and became very ill. It was 24 days before he made his next entry in his diary and after two months, they limped back home. Washington never forgot how horrible it was, and he had some pox scars on his face to prove it. Thirty-four years later, one day after the 4th of July, 1785, George Washington took over the ragtag Continental Army. He knew he would be fighting a war on two fronts, the British troops and the war against smallpox, capable of taking many more lives than the British. Washington knew that the American-born soldiers were far more susceptible to the disease than the British because smallpox had been around Europe for years. A very high percentage of British troops had already contracted the disease as young children and now were immune for life. Most in America had never been exposed to the virus, and now this deadly disease was spreading like wildfire across the colonies. Washington had to decide how to attack the smallpox, since it would be another 20 years, 1794, before Dr. Edward Jenner would come up with a vaccine for smallpox that had almost no effects on people when they took it. It was a challenging problem. Do you let people develop herd immunity, which could also kill a large number of your soldiers? Do you quarantine troops, which means they are not available to fight? Or do you immunize them? Now, immunization in the 1770s was different to say the least. The only way to protect people from smallpox still killed 5 to 10% of the people who tried it. It was called variolation. The procedure carried out by a doctor was making a cut in your arm and inserting or rubbing powdered smallpox scabs into the cut. A lot of fun. The hope was for the person to come down with smallpox. When smallpox was injected in that fashion, It was usually, usually, a milder case than it was when it was contracted in the natural way. And if all went well, inoculated patients still needed a month to recover. The procedure was not only risky for the individual patient, but for the surrounding population. Someone that just had it and ended up with a mild case might feel well enough to walk around and visit with others in the community infecting them with a potentially full-blown case of the disease. Washington carefully thought about the risk while the rebels had British troops trapped and surrounded in Boston 
in July 1775. He feared that a large-scale inoculation might sideline his troops, or worse, lead to a full-blown epidemic. So during the siege of Boston, Washington imposed a strict quarantine of both sick soldiers and civilians. Civilians near Boston, showing any smallpox symptoms, were held in the town of Brooklyn, while military cases were sent to a quarantine hospital located at a pond near Cambridge. No person is to be allowed to go to freshwater pond fishing or for any other occasion as there may be a danger of introducing the smallpox into the army, wrote Washington on July the 5th, 1775, his second official day as general of the Continental Army. The quarantine did its job. There were enough Americans without smallpox to finally force the British to surrender Boston. But as the fight for independence moved elsewhere, smallpox followed the American army like a deadly shadow. Army life in the 18th century was cramped and unsanitary, with new recruits mingling germs with soldiers from entirely different parts of the country. Smallpox thrived. During the Battle of Quebec, fought on New Year's Eve of 1775, the Continental Army was so weakened by smallpox that it had to retreat. Making matters worse, the long retreating march south from Canada through New York was worse than the battle, as smallpox took its toll, men dying with lice and fleas and maggots crawling all over. It was unimaginable. The smallpox, Continental Congress member John Adams wrote his wife Abigail, what shall we do with it? By the following winter, Washington and his troops were camped in Morristown, New Jersey, where the threat of smallpox hung over them like the low winter clouds. Washington couldn't decide to inoculate or not. He had finally decided to mass inoculate, send out the order, and then pull it back. But after more thought, on February the 5th, 1777, he sent a letter to John Hancock, president of the Second Continental Congress, saying, The smallpox has made such headway in every quarter that I find it impossible to keep it from spreading through the whole army in the natural way. I have therefore determined not only to inoculate all the troops now here that have not had it, but shall order Dr. Shippen to inoculate the recruits as fast as they come in to Philadelphia. It was a risky business, cutting a person, planting the virus, and that's followed by a month-long recovery. It was scary. It was the first of its kind of inoculation on such a large scale. Plus, the inoculations had to be conducted in total secrecy. If the British heard large numbers of the American soldiers were laid up in bed with smallpox, it would be an invitation for an immediate attack. Miraculously, The 1777 inoculations went off without a hitch and without tipping off the British. Even more daring was that Washington then conducted a second major round of smallpox inoculations in the middle of the infamous Valley Forge in 1778. Notwithstanding the orders I had given last year to have all the recruits inoculated, I found upon examination that between three or 4,000 men had not had the smallpox wrote Washington in January of 1778. That disorder began to make its appearance in camp, and to avoid its spreading in the natural way, the whole were immediately inoculated. No food, no warm clothes, bloody footprints in the snow, 
because of no boots. On top of all this, soldiers who had not had smallpox got their arms cut and scabs of smallpox stuffed into the cuts, something that might be deadly. Valley Forge was not a pleasant encampment. But by the spring of 1778, the ranks of the Continental Army swelled with soldiers that were smallpox immune and ready to take the fight to the British, and they did. In the last major battle at Yorktown in 1781, the now superior hardened American troops defeated the famed British military, captured their leader Cornwallis, and forced them to ultimately withdraw from America. Washington's highly risky decision to inoculate the whole army against smallpox didn't win the war by itself, but his act of conducting the first national epidemic fight deserves a place among the most important factors in the American victory that created this nation. Well, that's our story for tonight, and we hope you found it interesting. By the way, if you haven't had the vaccine for the current virus, please take it. We will all be the better for it. We'll see you next week with another story you never heard. Please pass this story on, and also, if you can, contribute to us so we can continue this project. You'll be glad you did. Have a good night. Come visit us on the web at thestoryyouneverheard.com and facebook.com slash T-S-Y-N-H. This show is executive produced by Benji Gaither and Douglas Jackson. Our technical consultant and website administrator is John Balderston, and Justin Nichols is our editor.